This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 4, Episode 13. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. As of the recording of this episode, I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Matthew Marister. Yes, sir. I'm here. Mr. Mr. Graybeard himself and fancy hairdo. Yep. I'm trying to style it up. I have a dinner date tonight, so I have to (laughs) class it up a bit. There's no classing up going on in my household. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, classing up means I take off, you know, my, my sweatpants and put on actual pants and I put on a shirt with a collar and, Wait, and you sleeves. wear pants <laughs> when I leave the house I'm inside <laughs> and there's no rules <laughs> so folks welcome to another episode uh, this is our industry news and gear reviews episode got a bunch of stories to share with you and cover with you today um, including some brief updates on the Rittenhouse case, which I know many of you are following. Um, and you're probably getting enough of that news at, you know, other places as well. But so we'll just be brief on that today, I think. Um, we're going to talk about some stories out of the out of Los Angeles from the LAPD. Uh, we got uh, uh, one about the FBI admitting it is often wrong on gun background checks. That's a doozy. And a couple of new gun releases. So excited to talk about uh, some of those. So stay tuned. Today's episode is sponsored, brought to you by Guardian University, which is a subset, if you will, of our membership program, Guardian Nation. Uh, what that means is if you're a Guardian Nation member, you automatically get access to uh, all the our entire video library that exists online. And Guardian University is also not only available to Guardian Nation members, but to really anybody. Uh, But there's some content that you'd have to pay for and some content that's free. Uh, If you choose to just uh, take take, uh, advantage of Guardian University, you can check out a number of great courses out on there. Uh, Again, a number of, uh, a a bunch of contents available uh, for free or low cost. But the easy thing, honestly, is just to become a Guardian Nation member and get access to everything. Uh, guys, go learn more about Guardian University today. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash Guardian University. Uh, you'll find courses on there about, about American gun law, uh, uh, child safety, uh, home defense, concealed carry fundamentals. Um, there's there's one of my favorites on there called Draw Like a Pro. Uh, we've got the shooting fundamentals course, a gun safety course, fighting from cover, uh, that's a good one. Vehicle firearm tactics, emergency trauma response, a tons, tons and tons of great content. Uh, again, you can pay as you go, and some of those are free, or get full access by joining Guardian Nation today. Uh, anyway, again, check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash Guardian University. Well, let's get into our first news story. Uh, first up is an update on the Rittenhouse case uh something i've been following depending on which day fairly closely or generally uh by that i mean 
Monday I was, I was in the truck all day traveling back from Arizona and I listened the entire time to coverage on the Rittenhouse trial. Uh, I heard the entirety of the, uh, 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 closing arguments, uh, which was, uh, interesting and sometimes surprising and sometimes disappointing as well. Uh, as many of you probably know, as of right now, the jury has been deliberating since yesterday morning and today kind of the drama has been that the jury's had some questions for the judge. Um, they want to view again, some of the video, uh, from the case, uh, some of that video has been at the center of some contention between the defense and the prosecution, uh, because, uh, the same quality level of video was not provided to the defense team before they wrapped up, uh, uh, the, 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 their case. And so it's just a lot of, a lot of drama there. Um, you got the defense team asking for a mistrial, uh, without prejudice, which would mean that if it was if the judge decided to grant that motion, um, Kyle would walk and would not be able to be charged uh, or tried again in this case. So we'll see where that all takes us, where it all ends up. It sounds like right now the jury is reviewing their uh, the videos that they wanted to review again, um, and uh, and then I imagine they will continue deliberating. So it doesn't sound like the judge was ready to issue a decision on the on the uh, motion to declare a mistrial, uh, although he could still do that. But at this time, still moving forward with uh, jury deliberations, which I would say, as of right now, look like probably going to go through till at least till tomorrow. So, and again, keep in mind, we're, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, November 17th. And some of you may, by the time you hear this, this whole thing is probably likely to be settled. But uh, anyway, did I say without prejudice, Mark? I'm, I think I meant with prejudice. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Just a slip of the tongue there. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, what else I, you want to add, Matthew? To that? I, I just add, like, I, I've been thinking about it and, you know, there's a, with every trial, you know, big stakes trial like this, there's always some crazy or things that are unexpected and, um, you know, but there's a couple outcomes that, you know, that aren't so good um, for, for Kyle. I mean, even if, you know, there's a concern, what if there's a hung jury, right? In the mistrial and then he's tried again. Um, this, you know, so that would not be good. Obviously there's all kinds of, you know, protests and stuff already geared up, ready to go, whatever happens, but, um, you hate to have this continue and linger on. Cause not just for, for him, but for, I mean, all these high contentious cases just add fuel to the fire of the news cycle every day. And, you know, it'd be great to just, uh, kind of like the George Floyd thing, how it just, you know, it was always there and it still is, but, you know, it, it, it I think uh, it'd be good to have some resolution to this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, resolution is always a good thing. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm not here to comment, you know, one way or another on this case. Uh, I, I, I'm, my intent right now is to see how this case sorts itself out. Yeah. Um, it's not our place to, uh, declare Kyle guilty or not guilty. Um, that's for a jury of 12 to decide at this point. 
And, uh, you know, this is the justice system hopefully working as it's intended. Uh, this is a tricky one, though, because of the political and societal pressure mm-hmm. on this on this jury of 12 and on that judge, too, who apparently has received a number of threats against him for the way he's handled the trial. Which, by the way, from what I've observed, I've been I, I think the judge has done a pretty darn good job. Uh, because his job is to ensure that the trial happens in a fair, uh, you know, uh, equitable way that, that the uh, rights of the accused are maintained. Because, again, innocent until proven guilty. And we got to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And so there's been a lot of, a lot of interesting things that have happened as this, as this trial has progressed, uh, where the judge has stepped in to say, hey, look, like, you know, we're, we're crossing lines, we're crossing thresholds here. Uh, it, so that's, uh, I, from what I've observed and I'm no legal expert, but I think it's, I think he's been running a pretty good trial for the most part. So, uh, uh, but you know, that you've got a certain segment of society that has already made up their mind that, that Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty and that he should hang and go to jail and be executed. And then all this crazy language I've been seeing thrown around, thrown around on the internet the last uh, week or two. And you got the other side that's saying, you know, free Kyle and, and all that stuff too. So, you know, that's already decided that he's innocent in this regard. I would say based on the evidence I've reviewed, it definitely seems to lean in Kyle's favor, but not my call to make, to make that call. So we'll see where it shakes out. There's a lot of great lessons learned from this entire case, both the, def- the the actual act of the uh, defendant, okay, or or acts uh, on that fateful night, August twenty fifth, twenty twenty, I think it was, um, but also lots of lessons to be learned through the actual conduct or 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 pro- progression of this trial of this case uh, in the courtroom, stuff that is good for any of us that carry a gun and might have need or cause to use it in self-defense. Interesting things, you know, have been brought uh, before this jury by the prosecution that are not all that different, you know, than what could be done to say you or I. And one of the things that's come to attention was, uh, was uh, Kyle Rittenhouse's social media accounts, uh, particularly one on TikTok that, uh, prosecution clear was using that to try to paint him in a negative light uh, in terms of his attitude and and beliefs and values, if you will. So really wise to, it's really wise to uh, be mindful what we say online. And I'll leave it at that. And let's move on to the next story. Matthew, tell us about this one out of uh, LA, uh, out of Los Angeles from the LAPD. It says LAPD advises city residents to cooperate and comply with robbers from Breitbart.com. Yeah, this is laughable. Um, So uh, it says LAPD um, released a seven point outline conveying the department's advice for what city residents ought to do in response to an increase in robberies. These, these crimes that are, are affecting, um, vast parts, not just the, um, you know, poorer areas or more crime ridden parts of Los Angeles, but all over Los Angeles. So point five of the seven, um, says in quotes, if you are being robbed, 
do not resist the robbery suspects. It assumes that they're plural, I guess. Robbery suspects cooperate and comply with their demands. Be a good witness. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's laughable that, you know, you, you know, a police department is not. Um, let, let me I'm trying to say this like appropriately um, is overwhelmed, can't handle the job, doesn't have either the um, the staffing or the ability or the, um, you know, the backing of higher ups, because these aren't I, I can I would be willing to bet that the, the 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 patrol cops aren't telling this to average Joe citizen on the street. They're saying, dude, you know, you better defend yourself because we're going to be 15 minutes before we get there. And that's on a you know priority one call. But um, th- this is coming from a higher up, um, you know, uh, more political appointed position in the police department. And uh, it's just, it's horrible. If, if I'm living in Los Angeles and this is, this is the response that my police department that I'm paying tons of tax dollars to, to, you know, you know, keep the streets safe and keep the peace. And they just say, Hey, just cooperate with the man and be a good witness. Um, and the, while at the same time, you know, making it almost nearly impossible for me to get a, a concealed handgun license carry a firearm, buy a firearm, limiting the, the firearm I can, the type of firearm I can buy, the, I got to pass a background check to, to buy ammunition, like all these crazy things. And then you tell me, well, yeah, just be a good witness. I mean, I, I'm, I'm out of there if, if I'm living in Los Angeles, you know, I, I, I feel, you know, my heart goes out to these people that have homes there and they can't sell them and they can't get out of there because, uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are, have had it with this kind of stuff going on. So, oh yeah, for sure, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm reminded of just a couple of days ago. I saw a news story, um, and I wish I could remember exactly where it was and what the incident exactly was. Um, hmm, I might have to go do some digging. Although I'm sure a Google search of just you know of, of like victim shot by robber after complying or something like that would probably yield a number of of examples of this um but just because we comply does not mean we're not going to get hurt okay and the news story i was referring to a few days ago was was very much a situation where the individual the, the victim um complied fully with the robber's demands handed over uh, his his belongings his valuables etc and then for whatever reason, the uh, the robber uh, chose to shoot and, and actually, in this case, killed him. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, I, I think people should be left to, because that's what, you know, being American is all about, should be left to our own, our own best choices and decisions for ourselves in, in situations like this. Because guess what? The LAPDs, they're, Those officers, the captains, the chiefs, whatever, they're not the ones that are facing down that drawn gun by, you know, held in the hand by a robber who's demanding things of you. They're not the one in that position. Okay. You are. You have the best chance of reading the body language, the facial expressions, the tone, the words of what this robber's intent and desires are. 
intents and, and, and desires are. That's something that you should be free to make a decision on. And as far as your course of action, okay, compliance may very well be the smarter play, okay, but it is far from a guarantee that you will emerge on the other side of that robbery unscathed. So I, I am, uh, I, to me, this type of um, declaration from the LAPD is tone deaf and assumes that there is a one size fits all solution for robbery situations. And it is akin of a news story we covered a couple years ago. In fact, it's been a while. I don't know if I could go back and dig exactly which episode it was uh, from, but I did find the link because it didn't take long to do a little searching to come up with uh, the, the link on the ask the dot police dot UK website. And this is something we talked about, like I said, a few years ago about <clears throat> how on this, uh, 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 British police website. There's basically an FAQ section. I mean, this, that's what this whole site's about. Ask the dot police dot UK. And there's a question on there. It's actually listed as question number 589. Are there any legal self-defense products that I can buy? And the response from the British police is the only fully legal self-defense product at the moment is a rape alarm. These are not expensive and can be bought from most local police stations or supermarkets. Hmm. And if you go dig a little bit and, and read into about uh, pepper spray, knives, batons, any of that sort, uh, you'll quickly learn from the British police that, uh, yeah, self-defense is not something you're permitted to really do in a country like the UK, the hmm. United Kingdom. And that's how this whole story from the LAPD comes. That, that's how that sounds to me is that we're moving that direction. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, imp- I'm oh, What's that? I'm, I'm impressed with your mind that you remember that. Cause it, as you were, I, I think I vaguely recall that. Um, but yeah, that is very, that's, I mean, is that the, uh, the direction we're going here with the LAPD, right? Like a rape whistle. Is that, is that the next step? Mm-hmm. Handing them out, you know, trade in your gun. We'll give you a rape whistle. Uh, just, I, just cooperate and comply and it, blow your whistle if you need to. Yeah. I, I mean, and I, I just, I mean, if you're listening to this and I guess I'm kind of worked up about this cause I, I just, it's incredible. I'm just, I, I, I don't know, but um, ask if somebody's listening to this, just ask yourself a message like that. Who does it embolden? It emboldens criminals it gives them, you know, more confidence that, hey, even the police are telling people not to even fight back. Um, and so it emboldens the crim- criminal element. It gives them more, um, you know, uh, confidence to go out and, and commit crimes. And it, it takes away the confidence of the law-abiding citizen who wants to do everything right, who's paying their taxes, working wants to jump through all the legal loopholes and to, to get their firearm or whatever it is, but wants the police to do their job. And, and this is the response. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I, when I read this, I just <laughs> I threw up my hands. <laughs> California, according to this article, and this is written by AWR Hawkins, who's a awesome journalist. 
Uh, one of the most stringently gun-controlled states in the Union. The state has had universal background checks and an assault weapons ban since the 1990s. Moreover, the state limits the number of guns law-abiding citizens can buy each month, requires law-abiding citizens to show good cause in order to be approved for concealed carry permit, bans campus carry for self-defense, bans K-12 teachers from having guns for classroom defense, has a 10-day waiting period on gun purchases, has gun registration requirements for law-abiding citizens, has a red flag law, and the state also has a ban on high-capacity magazines. And additionally, has ammunition controls in place, which include background checks for ammunition purchases and said purchases to in-state ammunition dealers who are approved by the state. In spite of all of that, Los Angeles is seeing an, quote, an increase in violent street robbery robberies, end quote. And I've talked before on this podcast, shared even sharing some statistics of the rising crime numbers in the state of California just in the last few years. Mm-hmm. But yet, more gun restrictions is the answer. Oh, and cooperate and comply and be a good witness. Anyway, let's move on now to <laughs> an article from Insider.com. Alec Baldwin fired a gun on the set of Rust, killing its cinematographer. Here's the timeline of the shocking incident. Um, we talked about this a little bit, and I still think that we may end up dedicating a the better part of an episode to discuss this topic. Uh, but I wanted to touch on a couple of things here because I've done some studying on this and, and learned some interesting things. Um, first of all, this was what was considered a low budget film. Okay. Uh, the film's budget was somewhere around $7 million and is ref- what's referred to as a tier one film. What, what is that? Well, there's three tiers, tier one, two, and three. Um, th- those are recognized industry classifications that actually dictates the, it's a pre-negotiated um, a- agreement, if you will, with the unions involved in film productions like this. So you, you, you tell them that this is a tier one project and that automatically sets the pay scales for the people working on that film. Okay. A tier two film dictates a little bit more pay. Tier three dictates more pay than that. And then above that are what would be considered higher budget films and below tier one are low, low, low budget films, films that aren't even uh, typically uh, uh, produced with the, the, the help of union labor. So <clears throat> I, I mentioned that because it's interesting because it paints a picture of a film project that is on a very tight budget in the film industry. $7 million doesn't go very long, very, doesn't go a very long ways. Right? So this is how you end up with 24 year old women I almost said girls or girl. That's not really fair. She's a 24-year-old young woman um, who supposedly is trained by her father who's worked in this industry for a long time himself as a as a as a essentially a, a weapons handler or weapons armorer on this set. Who just weeks uh, I'm trying to remember exactly when the interview took place. I think it was just weeks before this incident occurred that um, 
24 year old Hannah Gutierrez Reed uh, uh, was on a podcast where she talked about how she was a little unsure, I think, about her her capabilities of you know taking on jobs like this. Here he goes. Here it is. She told a podcast by the name of Voices of the West a month ago. And this is this is as of this article that's just 29. a few weeks old. Um that she almost didn't take one of her her first job, which was a, a production called The Old Way, because she wasn't sure if she was ready for it. And then she said this, I think loading blanks was the scariest thing to me because I was like, oh, I don't know anything about it, she said. But her famous father, she said, helped train her. It just paints a picture that you have Alec Baldwin, who's a, who is the primary financier of this film. He is the producer of this film, Rust, that was being pr- produced and worked on in, in uh, near Santa Fe, New Mexico, that uh, ultimately... He's the guy, he's the boss man running that, that project. He's the money. He's in, he's going to be involved in a lot of the decisions of who to hire, you know, which director, which cinematographer, a number of these different, you know, decisions, hiring decisions of who to involve in the production of this film, where the money's going, where the money's being spent. Uh, Mark, was he the primary producer? I thought he's just a producer. I'm pretty sure he was the producer. Yeah, there was an assistant producer. I think his name was Hall or something. There was another. There was an assistant producer. I think he was the primary. We can research that further. Either way, um, he's got money tied up in this film, right? So what I'm saying is that he's not just some actor that was hired to work in this film. And he's just the dude that was handed a prop gun and pulled the trigger. So, um, in other words, he, he's partially responsible for how the, how this project was put together and by, um, a number of sources that have been out there, there's, there's quite a bit of talk about, um, the working conditions on that set, which is, by the way, it's probably not anything unusual, right? Cause you have a low budget film. It's probably fairly tight on budget and people will probably always want to be paid more. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I could totally see this being a, a, a case too, where it's like, well, we were told this is a tier one project, but it, it's really looking like it's more like a tier two project. And if all that happened was this was declared as a tier two project, automatically all these union workers get paid more. Like I can see that as being part of the dispute that we feel like, you know, we should be getting paid more and that this should be a tier two. You know what I mean? So um, there was other, there's other sources out there talking about some safety issues and violations, both on this set, but also uh, involving those that, that were involved in this project in the past. Okay. Yeah. There, there actually um, this talks about, Six cameramen and their assistants reportedly walked off the set the morning of October 21st to protest long working hours and low wages and particularly particular worry over over two accidental gun discharges that happened the weekend before the fatal shooting. 
That, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And, and there have been some people that have disputed that or the extent of that as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, as, as, is, as is usual, there's some, you know, it's, it's always a little bit hard to know exactly. You know, this is sort of a he said, she said, they said, they said, you know, um, people are looking for blame. People are looking for, you know, directions and fingers, you know, that they can point. And so, um, but, my, but my point to all this is that safety shouldn't ever be uh, compromised on, right? And it's something that's not that difficult to ensure happens if you just make sure you have the right people involved in the first place and the right attitude and the right culture um, all the way from the top down. The, the from We're talking from the, from the producer team to the directors, especially the assistant director who has primary responsibility for safety on the set, all the way down to uh, anybody involved with handling the props or working as armorers. The whole, they're like, there, there, there are procedures in place and have been procedures in place for years, and those procedures did not happen. And so that's how we end up with something like this. And my point to all of this is, is we we should be asking ourselves the same very questions. Okay. Do we make excuses to compromise on safety at times? Okay. Because the the, the picture I'm painting here regarding the, the movie Rust is that I believe there were probably some corners cut some shortcuts taken that were probably driven by budgetary restraints or requirements and so whether it is with us individually it's probably maybe less of a financial thing but probably more of a issue of convenience and or time either not taking the time or feeling uh, like we don't need to take the necessary steps to have proper safe gun handling because it inconveniences us in some way. This is a great opportunity for us all to revisit our own safety measures to ensure we are not justifying or compromising in any way less than stellar safety actions when handling firearms. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and, you know, anybody who handles firearms for a living or has done it for any number of time, you know, any long period of time, who's trained a lot um, in, in, I'm not talking about going to the range every once in a while. I'm talking, you know, you carry a gun for a living, you train, um, can think of times where they could have been more safe or done something that wasn't uh, completely safe, um, but because of redundancy, maybe, right. Or maybe, um, however you look at it, but redundancy in maybe some of the systems that keep us safe. Um, we didn't have a catastrophic, you know, uh, uh, issue. Right. Um, but certainly just because you, uh, train a lot doesn't mean that you will never have, uh, a, a lapse of, 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 you know, focus or clarity or, um, 
you know, attention. And it's it, so I think we we can't get lulled into this. You know, I've been doing this, you know, my whole life and nothing's ever happened. You know, I've always cleared the gun like this or I've always done this or that. Right. Um, nothing's ever happened. Well, nothing happens until it happens. Right. And and so, um, you know, I I when I look at this, um, you know, yes, he ha- whoever pulls the trigger has ultimate you know, culpability, responsibility in handling the the firearm in a safe manner, no matter how many people said it was clear. Um, But, you know, um, we have to, we we have to take that and apply it to ourselves as well. Right. And, and look at, like you said, um, somebody's not handing us and saying, Oh, the gun's clear or whatnot, but, you know, do we look, you know, if we're in an administrative environment, uh, do we look the whole, the, the gun back into the holster? Are we clearing it in a safe, in a sit pointing in a safe direction when we clear it, when we chamber, when we do these things, um, it, are we building safety habits, right? Like a, a system that we do each and every time that kind of, um, helps keep us from, um, maybe, um, doing something out of the, out of the ordinary, um, just mm-hmm. stuff, stuff to think about. I put on the screen a quote that uh, Mark Oknyansky on Facebook uh, shared, which is a quote from George Clooney, who commented about this incident. Uh, And George Clooney was friends with Brandon Lee, who was killed by a similar incident back in the, what, like 1993 era around that time frame. George Clooney says, every time I'm, every single time I'm handed a gun on the set, I open it, I show it to the person I'm pointing it to, I show it to the crew. Every single take, you hand it back to the armorer when you're done and you do it again, he said, referring to a professional on set who is in charge of the weapons and artillery. That's awesome. Uh, Good for you, George. Uh, Mr. Clooney, sir. Um, And I've seen some other things uh, come out of Hollywood uh, recently. There's a really great uh, interview with uh, another weapons master, um, armor, you know, individual. Probably could have included that link here. I just don't have it handy. But um, anyway, I'm actually working on getting somebody on the podcast. We'll see if it happens. I don't know. Everyone's a little bit, you know, unnerved about how this all came to be and and a little bit unsure about coming out publicly and speaking. But um, we'll see if I can make that happen and talk with an actual professional uh, weapons master who can kind of share how this sort of thing is really supposed to be handled. So I think it'll be an interesting uh, conversation to have. All right. We need to move on. Matthew's got a hard stop. <laughs> so actually, we're, we're, what I'm going to do right now, Matthew, is I'm going to have you share with us your review. Oh. So that uh, even though we have a couple of news stories still to cover, but why don't you share with us your product review at this time? Uh, and uh, maybe I'll go ahead and do mine as well. We'll do the reviews in the middle. Yeah. That way we can we can talk about one another's uh, reviews today. Cool. And then, you know, when, when it's time that you got to leave, you leave and I'll finish out the rest of the news stories. Yeah, that's, we'll mix it up for today. Um, yeah. So we do our gear reviews and news. So um, this, this month uh, I chose the um, Pitbull tactical, uh, this uh, uh, ammo carrier. Uh, I really like it. It's uh, it's, I've used different types of ammo carriers, uh, magazine carriers, right. Um, over, over the past, 
uh, several years. The the kind that have a magnet, right? We we know those. There's a couple of different types. Um, there's ones that kind of are like a pocket that uh, the the magazine slits into, and then that clips onto your pocket like a pocket knife, almost clip type thing. And that would go in your pocket, and it's kind of you do your ammo change from your pocket or carry your spare in your pocket. Um, this is more of a traditional on the belt. It has a, a belt clip um, attached to it. But what I like is that the belt clip is actually part of uh, the magazine carrier itself. So it doesn't add a lot of bulk, you know, uh, thickness, I guess, uh, outward. So it doesn't print as much. Um, it, it's very thin line that way. Um, additionally, um, it's universal. And anytime I hear universal, I normally am like, oh, okay, let's, let's turn around and go the other way. But um, this, this magazine carrier is made for magazines, double or single stack from like nine millimeter, I think to 45. Um, I think pretty much any, any, any magazine, double or single stack magazine will, will fit in there. Um, and it's a two part it, it has two parts and it's held together by this uh, a thick rubber uh, sort of webbing. If you're looking on Facebook, uh, this, this gray rubber, um, it's really thick, but it stretches and it returns back to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it holds its uh, elasticity or shape pretty well. Um, so it get it. I have a double stack magazine. It slides in there really nicely. Uh, it holds it. It doesn't move around excessively. A lot of the universal magazines I find um, they're either too shallow or too deep. So you get a smaller magazine that gets buried in there, and you can't really, you know, it, it, it's all the way down in the magazine carrier or a longer magazine, and it extends too far. So this seems to be a, a really good um, uh, size where. Even with the SIG P365 magazines, it fits nicely. They're a little smaller than these 15-round mags um, for uh, – this is for an Archon. But um, same thing as like a Glock 19 magazine, 15-round, um, same length and everything. Um, but I really like it, and I can carry my magazine inside the waistband or outside the waistband, and it doesn't print in um, – yeah, it's the first – kind of magazine carrier that clips on the belt that I've been able to, to kind of pull that off pretty easily. So Pitbull tactical uh, magazine carrier. I'm pretty impressed with, uh, with the simplicity and it's, I think it's like 25 bucks or something. So not, not terribly expensive at all. Yeah. Uh, Mark is correct. Uh, he, he asked here on Facebook if that was in the guardian box. Uh, it was in fact, back in August. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a decent little mag pouch uh, for what it is. I, I do like kind of the universal approach that it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, from my playing around with it, I didn't feel like it retained uh, single stack, like true single stack magazines of a metal body that were fully loaded quite as well. Um, like, you know, we're talking like, a, like, let's just say you have a 10 round uh, 1911 mm-hmm. nine millimeter magazine doesn't quite retain as well as uh, obviously stuff that's a bit bigger. Uh, so, um, you know, just something to keep in mind. Uh, I, I think it's probably fine. You know, we, we had a couple, we had a bunch of these extras uh, with us at the guardian conferences here in case 
you know, we had uh, attendees of that conference that were in need of extra mag pouches because uh, these were easy to have with us and would be pretty much universal for, uh, you know, because that, that's that's something that's challenging. You know, if you're going to have some some extra like loner type gear for people like that and you, well, they're using Glock mags and, you know, the gear you have is for SIG or Smith & Wesson or something else like this. Having having a universal product, I think, is uh is you know a pretty good idea for a situation like that where you don't know what you're gonna get and you need you know something to maybe lend to somebody. Uh, I do think that I don't remember the exact model name of the of the product. I do think that the um, Blackhawk mag pouches that I use are a little. I like I like them a little bit better um, when comparing these two products. Uh, although they have a single stack and a double stack uh, uh, specific version of those, whereas this one, this bulldog one, you know, supposed to handle both single and double stack uh, pretty well. Um, but those Blackhawk ones uh, are still quite universal in that they'll work with Glock or Sig or Smith and Wesson or Springfield Armory or whatever magazines uh, pretty equally well. Um, but they're also a bit more expensive too. So anyway, all right. So my product review is right here. Yeah. Mark said this was the, the magazine pouch. This Pitbull tactical was a little bit bulky. Um, I think it's, it, I, I didn't find it was super bulky compared to like the traditional Kydex uh, ones with the, you know, the uh, holster clip just mounted onto it. I found those were, somewhat more bulky than this i thought i felt this was pretty streamlined but you know everybody has um you know it depends on what you're you're comparing it to right so yeah. i'm gonna go to uh my camera view only here since this is a bit bigger to fit in the frame uh and i have talked about this in weeks past and uh, so this is not the first time i've talked about it nor for the first time that some of you will have seen this but um this is the Elite Survival Systems Stealth SBR backpack. Uh, so now that I've actually had it for, well, getting close to a month time frame here now, uh, and, and being able to kind of carry it around with me, haul it around with me, see what it's all about, uh, I, now I feel like I can at least talk about it somewhat educated. And I will say that so far there's almost nothing that I don't like about this pack. Uh, the w- one critique that I would have about it is the lack of ability to, I think it would have been a, a relatively simple matter to add a larger pocket that could be used. I'm not saying it would have to be, but could be used for things like a laptop. Uh, and I think that could be somewhere on, you know, like for instance, this has a pocket at the top here. It's kind of a unique thing that you undo these, these buckles and the top rolls open and you see, you got a pocket up here. And I think the idea is to have this kind of be, uh, waterproof, water resistant in some way. And you can put some stuff in there and you roll up the top of this, this pocket and then, Clipping it using these buckles then keeps it, you know, rolled and therefore sealed so that it can't come open and whatever's in there, you know, be exposed to the elements. 
Um, the bag is intended to be um, water resistant. There are a number of materials that will, will help with that. It's got kind of this rubberized, I don't even know what you call it, but um, this stuff here definitely is water resistant. And even the nylon fabric itself is, is, uh, is water resistant to some degree as well, though probably less so. You'll see the bottom of it, though, is all coated in this kind of rubberized type material that, you know, if you set it down on the ground, the ground's wet, you're not going to get your bag wet, uh, which is appreciated. But really in terms of pockets, we have that, that roll up pocket up here that I, I, I pointed at a, a moment ago. We have another smaller pocket here that I have a dummy round inserted into. That is a future coming dummy round product from ready up gear for a revolver caliber anyway um so we got a little pocket here we got a slightly larger kind of an admin style pocket here and this is a, a notebook that i carry around with me about everywhere i go it's not that big it might look bigger than it is in this you know uh camera view but it's really not that big and it barely fits in this pocket and you'll see i've got a couple of spare magazines in there just for kicks and giggles. And like I had a pen tucked in here. I have a, I have another one here. This is like a marker. I don't really have a whole lot in here, but we've got some pockets on the inside. And uh, I mean, it's a decent little admin type pocket to keep track of, you know, some smaller knickknacks and things, pens and markers, uh, charger charging cable that kind of thing but what i don't have is i don't have a place to put my to even put like an ipad and i think that's a bit of a i think that's a bit of a disappointment but that's the only honestly that's about the only complaint i have about the the whole bag the primary purpose of the bag is to permit you to stash and carry an sbr or in this case in my case a AR pattern pistol. Okay. And you see there's plenty of room for this guy to fit in here. Um, this is a 300 blackout. Okay. Uh, you know, just a small compact with a folding stock uh, pistol in a rifle caliber. And it fits in there very nicely and very covertly. And that's great. Um, I have no problems with how it's mounted. It's got some flexibility in terms of how you can mount it it's got you know this this great system of holding it in place so you see it's 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 locked in there uh it's not just going to come out on its own but yet removing a couple of straps and it'll come right out uh, very quickly very easily that's really the point of this backpack i i like the form factor it's not too big okay now if you don't have a folding stock chances are you're not going to be able to fit um, an AR pattern rifle in there. So, but you could stash something in there with it broken down into upper and lower receiver, and you could get a little bit longer barrel length doing it that way as well. Uh, that one's a, a, a nine inch barrel on that 300 blackout, and it, it basically takes up all of the height of that bag with this with the stock folded using a law tactical folder. But that's the bag. I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's awesome. I think, and here's the other thing. It's not very tactical looking. It's very nondescript. It's just like a common modern style backpack. Um, I just wish I could actually 
at the very least, stash an iPad in there somewhere and carry it with me. And there's not really a good way of doing that. So it's the only gripe. Other than that, you know what? I grab this thing and I go and I throw it in the cab of the truck or something. Go on. And I just went on a road trip and this thing rode around with me throughout my trip. And it was great in that context. So, yeah. Almost hit a deer on my on that drive. And I had the thought, you know, uh, if I needed uh, for some reason put a critter out of its misery normally i would maybe use my pistol out of my uh, uh out of my holster that i carry on me but i had the thought if i had to if i had actually hit that deer and it was suffering i probably would prefer to just grab that 300 blackout pistol and and get the job done so anyway um great pack awesome design great colors uh, nondescript, you know, it operates very well in a in a discrete context, a concealed carry context. Uh, doesn't have a lot of external uh, tactical cues, and so all of that is what I was looking for in a pack, and it accomplishes that very very well. It's high quality. The zippers are top notch. Uh, it's water resistant. Uh, the pockets it does have are pretty well organized. I just wish I had one more, and that's it. So. If Elite Survival Systems is listening, maybe we could come up with a Stealth SBR uh, Pro that has just one, one, you know, same form factor, same everything. But let's find a way to add, like, even just an iPad pocket. And that'd make me a happy man. All right. So, Matthew did have to duck out. I mentioned that he had to, he had a, a tight schedule and we got, um, you know, so he, he's taken off and that's, it is what it is. We'll, we'll say goodbye to Matthew and catch up with him next week. Perhaps, uh, I'm going to continue on with our new stories. So just a couple left. And so I'll highlight these for you guys and we'll announce our weekly podcast prize winners and then we'll close up the, the podcast here today. So our next news stories from MLand.com title is FBI admits it is often wrong on gun related background check denials. <sighs> This is not necessarily surprising to me, but it's shocking because it's a known problem and it's apparently an accepted problem. And and by that, I mean accepted by the FBI, accepted by others within our government. And this is unacceptable. Okay. Because here's the thing. I'm going to actually quote from this article written by uh, author John Valeco. he, again, on MLN.com, he says here that um, you know, he makes this reference, this reference that each year the FBI denies somewhere around 100,000 uh, firearm purchasers, a statistic that the FBI is always proud to report. And you're so dead on with that because they, they in fact, we included in our links, in our links of our show notes here today, one that lists the actual quantity of federal denials from the NICS system. Okay. And you'll see right there all in total, this rates from November 30th, 1998 to October 31st, 2021. And it shows how they've denied during that history, 2,014,880 purchasers of firearms. All right. So they're proud to report that. But here's the problem. Some of those are false positives in terms of they're falsely positive for being prohibited 
uh, purchasers or possessors of weapons. Second Amendment researcher and economist John Lott has claimed that as many as 99% of Nick's denials are actually false positives. Okay, if you're, that seems kind of high to me because that means dang near all of them are false positives. That might be a bit of a stretch, but, but the FBI themselves admits that, and this is according to a Gun Owners of America FOIA request, they requested that the FBI shows its own records regarding false positives, and the FBI responded that 27.7% of Nick's appeals received during the requested time period were overturned and the firearm purchase uh, transactions were preceded. So the FBI's own admission is that 27.7% of these denied purchases are actually false positives. I would suggest, just as this author of this article suggests, that the number's probably higher than what the FBI themselves claims and probably lower than what John Locke claims. You know, if we just call it somewhere in the middle, what it tells us, though, regardless of what the actual percentage is, is that a significant number of firearm purchase denials, according to the FBI, through the NICS system, are false positive, falsely positive, meaning that people are denied that shouldn't be denied to purchase a firearm. And now in some of these cases, or perhaps many of these cases, those people go on to appeal the denial and get it overturned. And a lot of times this might be because of, you know, their, their identities con- confused or uh, mistaken with an actual uh, felony criminal, you know, or, or that sort of type. Um, that sort of thing is, is expected to happen. I mean, you have a common name, like the likelihood of you being associated with someone else that has that name that might have a criminal record is going to go up. Anyway, um, the fact is, let's just say out of 2 million total denials, if 40% of those are false positives, if 50%, if we're erring more on the side of John Lott's calculations of, let's say it's 70%, regardless, hundreds of thousands of people have been affected in the 20 plus year history of the NICS system going through background checks for firearm purchases. purchases. It's just an indication that I mean, imagine what might happen if we had universal background checks on every purchase on a federal level. By the way, the system is already overwhelmed with things as it is and would likely only get worse. And problems like this probably would only get worse as well. Um, Also, there's just issues like this one from Virginia. Also, according to Amoland.com, an article by John Crump. I know John. He's a good dude. Virginia incorrectly adds 46,000 citizens to FBI's NICS prohibited person list. I'll break this down really simply for you. By federal law, 
someone who is involuntarily committed to a mental institution supposed to be added to this list. Virginia state law, they determined on a state level that even people who voluntarily committed themselves to a mental institution should be put on a prohibited list. I think that's a bunch of bull crap. Okay. That probably only makes things worse, not better, because you'll actually get people that will refuse to get the mental health that they should because they're afraid of the consequences of pursuing that mental health, meaning that they will be denied or will have rights removed from them, you know, uh, uh, relevant to the Second Amendment. Right. But anyway, regardless, Virginia state law is a bit stricter than the federal law, but Virginia decided to add 46,000 names to the federal database of people who had voluntarily committed themselves to a mental institution and they should not have by according to federal law. The system is only as good as the sanctity and the in the in the accuracy of the data in the system, right? If you if you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. And right now, my faith in the Nick system is not very high based on just these couple of stories we've shared with you here today. You'll find those links in the show notes of today's episode. So, yes, problems with background checks, background check systems, universal background checks. Hmm. Garbage in, garbage out. Let's move on to some happier news, if you will. Smith & Wesson has announced a new 10 millimeter pistol so a new 10 millimeter mmp 2.0 i think it's pretty cool uh 10 millimeters making a bit of a comeback uh more and more people are actually using them to hunt with perhaps carry as a defensive gun but i see more and more people choosing to hunt with a 10 millimeter or use them as defensive guns against large dangerous animals i think it's seeing somewhat of resurgence because of the uh uh, the the massive growth we've seen in the industry of red dots mounted on pistols. Red dots on a pistol extend the range of that pistol. It allows you to make better and easier hits on target at distance, which then I think makes um, the viability of using something like a 10 millimeter for hunting even big game it potentially opens that up to uh, greater distance, greater probability of success there for a, a clean, humane uh, hunting kill. Uh, so um, the uh, new Smith & Wesson MMP 2.0 10 millimeter is pretty much about what you'd expect. It's an MMP 2.0. They do have two models coming out, a 4-inch compact model and a 46 barreled model both have a 15 round capacity they're basically full size framed guns they have a full full length grip um but in the in the case of a 10 millimeter uh which is about the same you know it's basically the same size diameter wise as a 40 caliber they hold 15 rounds uh they are built on the mmp 45 acp frame which means that most mmp 45 holsters and accessories will also work it also has a brand new trigger and comes with comes optics ready from the factory. So, there you go. 
Ooh, sorry, a little yawn there. And finally, Mark says he's been waiting on my promised review of the Springfield Armory SA-35. Now, I am not going to uh, say this is a review, <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. In fact, I'll go ahead and share my screen with those of you that are viewing with me here on the live Facebook and YouTube streams today. So let's go ahead and go there now. So this is the new Springfield Armory SA-35 announced just a few weeks ago, about three weeks, I think. This is Springfield Armory's take on the modern take on the on the classic Browning high power design. <clears throat> One of the last things that John Moses Browning worked on uh, when he was still employed by FN Herstal many, 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 many moons ago was the P-35 high power pistol. That design was finished and then released a little bit later. Uh, after John Moses Browning's death. The, you see this uh, Springfield Armory copy of one here, and it's pretty true to the original form. Um, quoting from Rob Latham, who, of course, is sponsored and works for Springfield Armory, he says, This has been a hard secret for me to keep. I have had a pre-production unit for months, and I can tell you this is a really well-built gun. Best-built version of this design I have seen, better sights and better safety, and the best trigger I have felt on any P-35. I'm very excited about this gun. Maybe it's the old-school aspect, but I have always liked them. I hope you like it as much as I do. Uh, this, this is kind of an interesting thing to me, actually, because, you know, we, we've seen a lot of new pistol releases, new pistol products come to the market. There's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, new products come to market in the last couple of years with micro compact, uh, basically high capacity, but micro size nine millimeter pistols. This is a full size gun. And it's an old school design. This this just completely flies in the face of where you know the modern times have been going in uh, recent history when, with respect to new new pistol product releases. Uh, but I'll tell you this much: I have thought for a lot of years that the high powers are pretty cool, and I've always kind of wanted to own one, and have just never gotten around to finding one that was what I wanted and buying it. And, you know, they're, they're getting more and more rare all the time. And now you have a modern built equivalent of one come to market. And I just find that very, very interesting and somewhat exciting. Um, I don't know how, I don't see this as having a place in my personal collection in terms of being like a defense, you know, a serious defensive tool, but I am intrigued and, and might, you know, like to pick one up at some point uh, to have as a, as a range toy, as a true range toy, something to take to the range and just shoot for fun. Uh, kind of a nostalgic, you know, feeling there of, hey, you know, this is this. I mean, it, it is it is history. This thing is founded in history that is that goes back nearly 100 years ago. So, I mean. This this was you you have the original John Moses Browning 1911 style design right that is over 100 years now 100 years old uh, more like 110 years old now at this point and that was a single stack design 
based on a large 45 ACP cartridge. And then, you know, a few, a decade or two later, John Moses Browning designs this double stack nine millimeter external hammer, single action only pistol. That's kind of cool. You know, just, just to see how, see the progression of things. Now, a lot of things are designed with requirements that are dictated by various militaries or police departments. At least they were more so perhaps back in those days. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this certainly fits the bill of a, it's a double stack nine millimeter pistol, 15 round plus one capacity in 2021. It's not out of place in that regard. It's design, it's, uh, it's overall look and aesthetic might look old, but in terms of the actual specification of the gun, certainly could f- find a place right at home in today's modern age where most of us are carrying some kind of double stack nine millimeter of some kind. You know what I'd like to see the true modern equivalent of this design with an optics ready version. <laughs> Some somebody somewhere is rolling in over in there. John Moses Browning may be rolling over in his grave. Of course, optics on 1911s have been a thing for some time now. So anyway, <laughs> there you go. That's the Springfield Armory SA35. I should mention I did mention some, some basic specifications. It is a, a 15 plus 1 capacity. It is chambered in 9 millimeter. Um it is, uh, I mean, it's an all steel gun. Okay. So it's a, st- a forged carbon steel frame and slide, a cold hammer forged barrel. Uh, those are all good things, by the way. Uh, has wood grips. Okay. I'm sure there'll be some aftermarket grips that are, be- are available or will become available. Um, let's see. It does say that the, the hammer design has been recontoured to reduce the hammer bite that high powers are known for a beveled magazine. Well, and modern tactical rack sights and extended thumb safety MSRP on this bad boy, six ninety $699. That's actually way more reasonable than I would have guessed. Had you told me this was going to be a thing uh, and you asked me to guess the price, I would have said probably more like a thousand. Um, so that's an impressive price point with a pretty impressive feature set. There you go. The Springfield Armory SA-35. That is the last of our news stories here today. Uh, The last thing I've got to do is announce our weekly podcast prize winners or winner. Okay. Now, if you're not familiar with this, you guys need to go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize to sign up each week to be included in the weekly drawing for for winners. Uh, This week, we're giving away a free Palm Pepper Spray unit. Uh, That's my my pepper spray of choice. Uh, I carry a Palm Pepper Spray unit all the time. Uh, Compact, nondescript, little size and packaging, you know, to the unit itself, Um, but very easy to use, and they have an effective range and a very, very, very spicy sauce that they deliver. So uh, one lucky winner, assuming it's legal in his jurisdiction, and that is actually going to go to Eric 
T. His last name starts with the letter T. First name is Eric. Eric T. Congratulations. You are the lucky winner of a Palm Pepper Spray unit. Next week's prize is a a five-pack of 9mm dummy ammo from Righty Up Gear. So that's pretty cool. Uh, You can always use dummy ammo. It's always a way to use that in dry fire practice. Uh, It's a good thing to have. So, guys, don't forget to sign up for a chance to win a free package of 9mm dummy ammo from Ready Up Gear at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. That's where you get signed up. So with that, guys, it is time to sign on out of here. I'll be back here a little bit later with Jacob to do our second podcast of the day. It'll be a good time. We actually have an interesting topic, uh, assuming he hasn't changed it, but we're going to talk about too much situational awareness. Hmm. Is that a thing? Is it possible? What does that look like? I think that's an interesting conversation to have. It's also based on a on a uh, an article published by Greg Elfritz on ActiveResponseTraining.net. So I'm looking forward to talking about this idea of too much situational awareness. Stay tuned for that, folks. Until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.